0: The blushing, impatient bride. Please don't make me marry Mr. Mixia Spitlick, the crazy imp from the fifth dimension, Dad. Where's your gratitude, dear? Mr. Mixia
1: Spitlick has made Allura and me alive again. You're Kryptonian parents, though we died years ago. And now we have superpowers like you.
0: We'll be proud to have Mr. Mixia Spitlick for our son-in-law. Do as your father's oral command, Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome back to another episode of Supergirl Power Hour. This month, we are taking you through the summer of 1962. I'm Cory, and with me, as always, is my impetuous imp of a co-host, James. Kill (laughs) pixies-um. Alright, we start this month with Action Comics number 288. It was published in May of 1962. It was written by Leo Dorfman, and I think that might be the first time we've seen him. And the art is, as always in the Action Comics issues at this point, by Jim Mooney. And the title of the story is The Man Who Made Supergirl Cry. So we open with Linda waking up in her bed in her home because she is still adopted, everybody. She still has a home.
0: Hey... And we get a few panels of her doing hijinks around the household, all with what appears to be a loaded shotgun hanging on the wall behind her very ominously. It's like, oh, <laughs> Domestic Bliss in 1962. <laughs> cock, off Shotgun. <laughs> That's a very accurate description, as we'll see soon.
1: So she wakes up and it's the Danvers' anniversary, so she decides to make them gifts. And the first thing she does is shred her parents' good napkins <laughs> to weave them into a tapestry that says, Happy Anniversary, Mom, with her picture on it. That way I can watch you forever. I I think that's Edna's picture, not, not Linda's. Uh, they look exactly the same. And I suppose it's not in color, so we can't tell if the hair is brown or red, so... And then we cut to Chekhov's paperweight (laughs) that Linda talks about her dad being very proud of this unbreakable glass paperweight that his company just processed, but how he'll be even prouder of her toothpick replica of a bridge that he designed that she makes and leaves on his desk. And then we cut to outside of Midvale, where a runaway fugitive has crashed his car and decides to hide his manacle with a sling so that he can fool the hicks in a town while he hides from Johnny Law.
0: And it turns out that the Danvers household is full of just the hicks he's looking for, because no sooner have they begun celebrating that anniversary as the inmate, who I'm just going to call Jim Hobo, stumbles in, saying that he's been in a car wreck and needs some emergency hospitality stent. Which, you know, isn't technically a lie. He did get in a car wreck. And suddenly, as he's reading the morning paper, just completely unfazed by the sudden human tragedy before him, Fred Danvers gets the sudden mental bombardment of ill will from Jim Hobo. It turns out Mr. Danvers is a telepath and is only just now realizing it.
1: (laughs) And the look on his face when he gets the mental... So he pulls Linda aside and tells her what he saw, and she doesn't believe him but decides to give him a once-over with her X-ray vision and sees his manacle and his knife. (laughs) And the hobo sees her looking at him too long and decides that it has given him away and goes for Chekhov's
0: shotgun. (laughs) Just then, Linda grabs the amazing unbreakable paperweight. She was boasting about just a few panels before and using bullshit manages to rearrange it into a long, invisible shield, which protects her from the shotgun blast.
1: <laughs> and she claims that it's because the gun was loaded with blanks,
0: and that's why it didn't shatter the unbreakable glass. So Fred decks someone, and the police carry him off. And then Linda just decides to go on to school, and Fred just sits down, puts in his pipe, and starts reading the paper again. (laughs) He is so blase about gaining sudden telepathy in the middle of a home invasion scenario.
1: So, as Fred is going over some blueprints in his office, he gets a telepathic command that he must make Linda cry, and he needs
0: to save her tears. I think every dad has that moment. In his life, where he realizes that his sole purpose in this world is making his daughter cry.
1: So, after school, Linda's out on patrol, flying around as Supergirl, and she sees a group of helicopter bandits get into a plane accident that snaps the propeller blades off of their helicopter, because that's how physics work.
0: That gives me an idea. I'll take the place of their propeller blades. And sure enough,
1: we get a panel of her spinning around like a propeller, rather than, you know, just <laughs> just flying it like a normal superheroine would.
0: If I allowed the copter to fall and I rescued the crooks, I might never have discovered the hiding place of the stolen goods. Oh, oh my God. And wouldn't you know it, she finds the hiding place of their stolen goods, and those crooks are sunk. And then she pukes for several minutes.
1: (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the Danvers house, Fred destroys a curio cabinet of all of her mementos
0: that she has collected since she came to Earth. Including some vinyl records, which I guess were pressed by Superman. And a bust of Superman. No, how will I know what he looks like?
1: Linda walks in and Fred blames a gust of wind. And sure enough, Supergirl starts bawling, and we get a thought balloon of, She's
2: crying, crying as I had hoped.
0: While he dabs away her tears with a handkerchief that he then rings out in a jar.
1: And he also tells her that she is able to repair all of the mementos with her super
0: speed. Now clean the shut up!
1: Then he gets another mental command to get even more of her tears, and... That there is a specific blue space jewel that will unlock her subconscious memories and make her cry. So he places
0: it under her pillow, and she has a dream about her origin story. Oh no, Danvers has discovered Supergirl's time-filling recap gem. This will take pages to get through. And she wakes up and cries because she had dreams about
1: her dead parents, and Fred dabs away her tears again.
0: I was reliving every terrifying moment of its dis- of its destruction. It was awful, Dad. Oh
1: you poor child. Try not to think of it now. I must, I must catch, catch every one of her tears. tears. And he gets yet another mental command
0: that they need just a few more of her super tears. So so he tells Supergirl her mother has died horribly.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but at that moment in time,
1: who shows up but Edna? So Fred's plan
0: was foiled. He specifically says, Oh, it must have been the work of a cruel practical joker. Which must have relieved Linda, because her first thought would have been, Oh, it's just Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and collecting her tears of happiness this time, he rings out the last hanky into the jar. And who should appear to him right then? But... JAXOR, Renegade Kryptonian scientist! Banished forever to the Phantom Zone!
1: Sure enough, it was the Phantom Zone criminals who need a Kryptonian tears to tear a hole into the reality that leads to the Phantom Zone so that they can escape.
0: It turns out they have a very specific formula that they have developed, where the key is the tears of a Kryptonian girl, and I assume uh, radio waves and orange juice considering how these things go.
1: And sure enough, it works. It rips a hole in the fabric of reality. <laughs> And the three criminals in the Phantom Zone realize that not all of them can fit, so they will need to make more tears. <laughs> but they decide to make sure nothing will happen to them out there by making Monel go out before them.
0: Then they throw Monel through the portal by his cape, and he shrivels up and turns to dust. Ah ha 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 ha! Daxamite scum! So
1: he immediately streaks away, trying to avoid any lead. And they realize only one more of them can fit through the hole. So Jack goes out and then holds Fred hostage and tells Supergirl that unless she cries gallons of tears, he will kill Fred. Fred tries to convince her not to do it to no avail as Supergirl just starts crying as Jack punches. No, wait, he slaps Fred
0: (laughs) because that's an open hand. Just then, who should appear but Monel holding a gigantic bowling ball of kryptonite that he found at the bottom of the ocean?
1: And unlike TV show Monel, this Monel is a good guy, <laughs> and uh, cares Jaxxer back into the Phantom Zone and then follows him because he can't stay out here because of lead, but not before he just chucks the kryptonite
0: into space where it will never again plague any Kryptonians. Just then, Superman, traveling from a mission at space, is struck in the head by Kryptonite and dies. Good riddance. <laughs> so,
1: after the criminals in mon are back in the Phantom Zone, Supergirl burns the formula so that they can never use it again, and Fred realizes that Jack Sears' slap has removed his psychic powers, <laughs> <laughs> because that wasn't a McGuffin at all.
0: I just love how unnecessary Fred having psychic powers is in the grand scheme of this comic. Anything else could have happened. If there is one golden rule of Silver Age comic book writing, it's make it more complicated. Right? Like, what the hell? And folks, this is nowhere near the most
1: bizarre story of the night, so buckle up.
0: Oh, we have a doozy of a Supergirl power hour in store for you folks. Which brings us to our next issue, which is... Superman's Super Courtship. Uh, It was in Action
1: Comics number 289 from June of 1962. Uh, it was written by Siegel, drawn by Mooney, and had a cover appearance by Supergirl, drawn by Kurt Swan and George Klein. And uh, James, do you want to read this cover
0: out? I am so happy for Superman, but how strange that the woman he is finally going to wed looks exactly as I will when I grow up. Yes, strange, Kara. That's that's a word for it. And so. normally we don't talk really talk much about the uh, covers on these stories outside the of open our cold splash opens
1: pages, but in this one we have a doozy for both
0: yeah this is just a one-two punch of weird perversion because on the inside splash page supergirl is waging war against cupid who's apparently trying to assassinate superman as he's inserting the golden key into the fortress's gate and there is just symbolism all over this thing
1: is it just me or does cupid look like Tyrion lannister He has the hair. He has the hair, he has the scowl, and he has the short little body. (laughs) And
0: the wings that Tyrion has.
1: Supergirl's convincing Cupid not to shoot Superman
0: because she wants to play Matchmaker instead. And I am so disappointed that this doesn't happen in the comic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, we open with Supergirl watching a romantic movie on TV with her parents. And busting into tears because... On the romance, the bachelor in the story never told the woman he loved that he loved her, so she married someone else, and then she has thoughts and feelings about how that might happen to her cousin, because he still hasn't married either Lois Lane or Lana Lang.
0: Wow, if Jack Sore was just a little bit more patient, he could have gotten enough super tears to spring the whole goddamn Phantom Zone. <laughs> <laughs> because she takes a break from crying, To tunnel underground like she does, and... Astound yokels by grabbing opposite ends of a broken electrical cable and feeding the electricity into her, and then goes back home and cries some more. And she wakes up the next
1: morning and tells her parents how she's going to convince Superman to marry either Lois Lane or Lana Lang or somebody else.
0: And they're like, no! Specifically, her dad
1: is very misogynistic, in that... Every man prefers to pick out his own
0: wife. I mean, he's not wrong. I think most people prefer to pick out their spouses themselves. So Supergirl goes to bed that night and
1: dreams of Superman having a wife and starting a fire in his fireplace with his heat vision and inviting a weird tentacled alien to dinner. So when she wakes up, she ignores her parents, flies off to the Fortress of Solitude, where she leaves a note in the time-traveling logbook. For Superman to meet her in the distant past. And she has flown back to ancient Troy, where she is going to try to hook up Superman with Helen of Troy.
0: According to that report I gave last year, she's one of four women to exist in history.
1: Because, you know, that's not how a war started, Supergirl. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, the Trojan War started because two people were fighting over her. God damn it,
0: Supergirl. Stop creating the Odyssey.
1: So she flies into the arena and tells Helen that she is Linda Lee from another land and has journeyed here to introduce Helen to the world's mightiest man who will arrive soon. And sure enough, Superman flies through the time stream and
0: Supergirl tries a meat cute And like most meat cutes it ends with her unleashing a unicorn and a minotaur onto her prospective mate.
2: <laughs> I'm and not that's kidding. that's not a
0: joke, you guys. No. There's an actual unicorn and minotaur. They say, release the beasts of doom, open up a gate, and a minotaur and a unicorn charge out, and begin attacking Superman and Supergirl. Which,
1: forgive me if I'm wrong, James, but minotaurs are from Greek mythology, but unicorns aren't, right?
0: No! <laughs> They're from English mythology, right? Also, the uh, if we're going Greek accurate, the Minotaur should be chilling in his labyrinth right now, snacking on virgins. Like, this is so bizarre. I just like how th- their, their thought process was just, um, some made-up shit attacks them. <laughs> but God, I'm excited. I want to see an entire comic about the unicorn and the Minotaur just hanging out, being best pals, marveling at the unlikelihood of their own existence.
1: So Supergirl makes a couple of horrible puns. She calls the Minotaur bullheaded and tells the unicorn to stop horsing around as she grabs them both by the horns. And people are impressed by not only her beauty, but her power. And that annoys the bejesus out of Helen of Troy. And she gets even more annoyed when she can't execute a prisoner because Supergirl blows her thumb into a thumbs up instead of a thumbs down.
0: I don't like the idea of Helen of Troy being powerless to overrule her own thumb. At that point, Superman and Supergirl go back
1: to 1962 because they realize they're no longer welcome here. And Supergirl is sad because her scheme has failed because she took away from Helen of Troy's glory and James, she says your catchphrase.
0: I goofed. But am I downhearted? No. Will I try again? Yes. Am I talking to myself?
1: Indeed. And she looks seriously evil in this panel.
0: Oh, she's gone full Lesla Larr <laughs> Right? Nice callback, James. <laughs> so we meet our dynamic lunatics, again the Fortress of Solitude, as Supergirl is tidying the place up, and she chimes to Superman. That someday, when he's married, it'll be his wife and not his cousin who will do his house cleaning. not I say, Superman, you travel fast enough to break the boundaries of space and time. You can't pick up the slack on the housekeeping a little. Right? Anyway, after she cleans
1: up everything in the fortress, Superman agrees to go to the future with her, where they travel a thousand years into the future to the Legion of Superheroes, but they travel a little further than normal to when the Legion are adults. So Lightning Lad is now Lightning Man, and they realize they are there for the office Christmas party. And we uh, meet Phantom Woman and Cosmic Man and Saturn Woman. And the Legionnaires give Superman and Supergirl rare photographs of them with their Kryptonian parents, which you have to wonder how long they've been holding on to those photos just to give them at an appropriate time. In the distant future. (laughs) At that point, Superman realizes that they are louses and forgot to bring gifts to the Christmas party. So they go out into space and grab an anti-gravity meteor where they make flight belts for the Legionnaires to replace their bulky jets. But I love that since this is like 10 years into the future of the Legion, at this point they already have flight rings. So I I feel like the adult Legionnaires are just, you know, humoring Superman's idiocy.
0: Look, look, Corey. Superman is a jackass. (laughs) I think they've realized this by now.
1: (sighs) So Supergirl tries to hook up Saturn Woman and Superman by praising Saturn Woman's intelligence and loveliness and then putting mistletoe over the two of them a couple of times. So Superman kisses her and then kisses her again immediately under other mistletoe
0: just then lightning man strides in dramatically with his glorious cape telling superman to let go of his broad
1: (laughs) superman gets all upset and decides that well awkwardly now we have to return to the past
0: haha see you in another thousand years
1: superman away and as they're leaving supergirl's like oh i should have tried to kindle a spark between him and phantom woman she's probably single Way to throw shade on Phantom Woman, Linda. Which is hilarious, because out of out of all the female Legionnaires that they have, those are two that have long-standing Legion romances, because Phantom Woman is with
0: Ultra Boy for a very long time. Look, 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 Corey. Supergirl gets all of her information from Superman, who is a jackass. So, they get back to... The Fortress of Solitude,
1: (laughs) I don't even know where to go with this, because
0: Supergirl's very
1: upset that she has failed two times to hook him up, and Superman (laughs) responds with, If I ever did marry, Kara, it would be to someone super and lovable, like you. We can't marry because we're cousins, though cousins can marry in certain countries here on Earth. We're both from the planet Krypton, where the marriage of cousins was unlawful as he is holding her by the chin and looking deep and longingly into her eyes in the creepiest panel in the history of
0: creep. It looks like a John Ramita doomed romance cover from the 60s. Like, it looks like it should say, Our Secret Cousin Love, issue 27. I I, I just like that Superman is making it very explicit. He would destroy Kara if it weren't for the fact that their dead planet said no. Let that color every single Supergirl story for you. So
1: Supergirl gets a brilliant idea because... There is a an exact duplicate of her on the planet Starl, which this makes the second exact duplicate of her on a foreign planet that we've seen in the past year of Supergirl comics.
0: I like how Superman just has a super duplicate locator in his fortress, I guess so he can destroy every other Superman out there, like he's the Highlander.
1: So he flies to the planet Starl, which is the second planet revolving around an orange sun and meets up with a superwoman who looks like an uh, adult Kara, wearing a white onesie with a green belt and a green cape and green gloves and green boots peter pan boots and they fly around happily and superman proposes as they come to earth where they will be happily ever after but as they get to our solar system the yellow sun destroys superwoman and superman returns her to her orange son and tells her that he will stay there with her but she tells him that earth needs him and that he must
0: return to earth God, i think superman is the world record holder for the most we come from two worlds speeches ever given or received i can't love you june the stink bug you're an insect and i'm a kryptonian well from two different worlds so supergirl is again very upset
1: that she can't hook him up, and Superman tells her not to fret, because maybe fate has a purpose in foiling your attempts, and she wonders if his future bride will indeed be Lois Lane or Lana Lang, and she returns home and tells the Danvers what mischief she has wrought, (laughs) and I am through playing Cupid forever. Isn't that what you said last time you were done playing Cupid, Kara?
0: I'm pretty sure it was. And so ends one of the wildest three-day weekends in Superman history.
1: Well, not quite, because she sits down to do a book report, and it's on Cleopatra, one of the other four women in history. (laughs) And she gets the idea that she should have Superman marry her, and then slams the book shut, realizing that she really needs to keep her word. Once again, staring at the reader evilly. Right? So... That brings us to our next issue, which is Action Comics number 290 from July of 1962. Again, written by Siegel and drawn by Mooney. And this one's title is Supergirl's Super Boyfriends. So we open in the Midvale Mall as Linda is talking to one of her friends who just got her hair done exactly like Supergirl's, and we walk past a Supergirl cosmetics line sign, and Supergirl games, and Supergirl dolls, and a there have been Supergirl fan clubs that have sprung up, including one in the bottle city of Kandor, and she is just overwhelmed by all of the fame that she has gotten in the last five issues. <laughs> and as she is... Mulling over her newfound fame, one of her Legion statues glows, and Phantom Girl shows up in her bedroom, explaining that a time projector has sent her from the future, but it's not working properly, so she can only remain in the present for a couple of moments. But she gives Supergirl a small figurine of herself that she had made of Supergirl.
0: I'd think it that if she didn't fade out, her last word was going to be, I need you to sign this...
1: And as Phantom Girl vanishes back to the future, Supergirl tingles like she does when she contacts Red Kryptonite.
0: (laughs) I bet she does.
1: And realizes that the statue must have been made out of Red Kryptonite. And as her boyfriend Dick Malvern with his monogrammed
0: cardigan... Which I assume indicates that he is, in fact, made up entirely out of the periodic element Malvernium.
1: (laughs) So as he picks her up, she kisses Edna on the cheek and is very happy because it seems that for once Red Kryptonite hasn't affected her. And they go to the museum, which is a change because it's not the amusement park that they always go
0: to. Yeah, no, this is an actual museum, not that bullshit Superman museum. <laughs> or that museum of carnivals that exists in this world. So at the
1: museum, a photographer from the newspaper... Wants to take their picture because it would be a good human interest piece as they touch a meteor that fell ten years ago.
0: Young lovers. Existing. Touching medias. Having the photographs taken. Life. And then they walk past a K'Panum totem pole. And that is a totem pole with mischief on its mind. (laughs) I've never seen a totem pole look like it was plotting something before. Proceed, (laughs) And
1: there is a sign that says, According to an old Indian legend, whoever kisses before this totem pole will be happy forever. So that's what its plot is. It just wants to stare at people making out.
0: Go for the tongue. (laughs) I'm made of wood. I don't have a lot of joy in my life, okay?
1: So many jokes that can be made of that sentence, James, and I'm not going to make them because we are a family podcast. So Dick smooches Linda and then regrets not asking her for another kiss, and she regrets him not asking her for another kiss.
0: And because it's the 60s, that's where the date ends.
1: And it really does, because she has to go patrol as Supergirl. And as she's patrolling, she has to save Atlantis from a sinking battleship. (laughs) And she does, and her mermaid boyfriend, Jero, tells her that it's his birthday, likely story, (laughs) Jero.
0: Mermaids aren't born.
1: They're hatched. And... He asks her for a birthday kiss, and she obliges very quickly, and then returns home, where she offers to clean the house for Edna, and Edna says that she would enjoy doing it herself, and then starts sweeping at super speed. Which is at what this point where we find out what the Red Kryptonite did, it apparently gave her the power to transfer her own superpowers
0: via KISS. Now, Corey, I think we need a new drinking game for every time super housework is implemented in the Stam comic. Okay, yes, fine.
1: So, Edna lifts the piano and looks inside it with her X-ray vision, and at that instant, miles away, Dick Malvern drives to his death. No! As he careens off a cliff, but thankfully, Linda had kissed him hours ago, and he now has all of her superpowers. So, the
0: first thing he does
1: is fly to his girlfriend's house.
0: And I have never seen someone fly so smugly before. Look at him, he's flying as though he always figured he would get superpowers at some point. (laughs) Yeah, this makes sense. So... That's why he showed up with with that M on his chest.
1: And... As he is flying, he doesn't realize that he's doing it too fast and his clothing starts to burn. And uh he thinks that the reason that they have the superpowers is from the meteor that they touched. And he tricks Supergirl into showing him that she has superpowers, but he is sure that that's the reason, so he doesn't think that she's actually Supergirl.
0: We should point out, his theory is that the radiation from the meteor combined with the flash from the camera bulb to give them superpowers, which, to be fair, does sound like any other Supergirl plot.
1: Right, it doesn't sound any different than orange juice and aspirin and radio waves.
0: (laughs) Or the tears of a Supergirl.
1: God damn, there is so much weirdness. So, they... They do super stuff, and Linda convinces him to take it easy, because what if the powers wear off at a bad time? Because she knows that red kryptonite is only temporary, so she's trying to protect him from not dying. And then we have an oh-crap moment with a great oh-crap ...face drawn by Jim Mooney as she realizes that she also gave a kiss to Jero. Dadgummit. Sure enough, Jero has superpowers now, too, as he lifts a giant
0: sea turtle. And the sea turtle also has a hilarious Jim Mooney oh-shit face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have never, in all my 200 years... So, we
1: go to Atlantis, where she's hoping that there's the Atlantide... Because that's what you call an Atlantean,
2: apparently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Scientists can aid her, and they can't figure out a cure for her kryptonite kiss, and we get a great choke!
0: (laughs) And as she leaves, she encounters Jero, who is once again pleading with her to take him to the surface world, so they can be together as merman and wife. And she just tries to ghost him.
1: (laughs) He is disheartened and flies away. And meets up with Dick Malvern, who is also just happens to be flying over the ocean. And the two of them super pal around and leapfrog some clouds and freeze a tidal wave.
0: And they are both entirely straight while doing it.
1: And then chuck the frozen tidal wave into the middle of the ocean because that's not going to cause another tidal wave. And they do some
0: push-ups. It's okay, they spot each other. And they have a nice, relaxing shower.
1: And then they are trying to get a close view of a live volcano, and that's when their powers suddenly wear off, and they fall to their deaths. Just kidding, they were stopped by Supergirl. But not really, it was a bunch of tiny little Supergirls. There's more tiny people! I'm so happy right now. (laughs) We find out that, like the Superman emergency squad in Kandor... Supergirl now has her own emergency
0: squad from Kandor, where they all wear blonde wigs in a Supergirl costume. And we once again... Get a recap of the story from their point of view, where, as they were watching Jero and Malvern be heterosexual together in the sky, they saw them plummet, then rushed over to the many wigs and costumes that they had in stock for just this occasion, popped themselves out of the bottle containing Candor, and then flew to the volcanic isle. And saved the two boyfriends of Supergirl. And then, because he is
1: literally a fish out of water, Jero has to get tossed back into the ocean.
0: And because he is also a fish out of water, Dick must be returned to Midvale City Limits. (laughs) Literally, she drops him at the Midvale City Limits sign. (laughs) Because you know, if he's out of that town for more than 48 hours, he just shrivels up. He's like the man thing. Again, completely heterosexual.
1: (laughs) So, he returns to Linda's house, and... She tells him that she too is now unsuper again, and as he leaves, she muses to her mom that she is in fact still super, because she is actually
0: Supergirl, and she is looking stylin'. <laughs> she is. Then just to make sure that she is rid of her kryptonite curse, she picks up a poodle, him, and then monitors him for several minutes to make sure he doesn't fly away. And he doesn't, so then she takes
1: a spray paint can of lead paint (laughs) and douses the Supergirl statue because, well, it can only affect her once. She
0: doesn't want it affecting Superman or Crypto because
1: they go around kissing so many people.
0: What I like is it just comes across that Phantom Woman overheard her talking shit about her in the future and gave her this to kill her. Now who's single? You'll be single forever.
1: So now we get a break from Action Comics to go to Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 35, from August 1962. Uh, this one, I was unable to scour the internet for a writer credit. None of the websites I typically go to that have writer credits had one. But it was drawn by phenomenal Lois Lane artist Kurt Schaffenberger. And the title of the story is The Fantastic Wigs of Mr. Duplay, Which just sounds like a lost
0: Dr. Seuss story.
1: <laughs> and we open with hipster Lois Lane going to Hamilton before it was cool.
0: And she has front row seats, so she must be the biggest celebrity in Metropolis. Like, seriously,
1: she is at a Hamilton musical in
0: 1962. What the hell? Well, Superman's such an asshole, he went to the future and stole the cast so that he could have his own private screening.
1: (laughs) So, after the show, she gets invited to the backstage to meet the star of the show, who tells her that the wig that he wore was magically cursed so that the wig is going to cause him to have the same fate as the real Alexander Hamilton, who died in a duel. And he's like, you're right, I probably won't die of a duel as I clean this dueling pistol. Oh no! And he shoots himself and falls overboard because apparently the play was on
0: a yacht? (laughs) I was very confused by this plot point. (laughs) Once again, make it complicated.
1: He <laughs> gets swept away by the current, and then the police show up, and Lois tells them what happened, but can't tell them that it was because of a curse. So she looks inside the wig and finds a business
0: card for Yield Wig Shop. And wig is spelled W I G G E, which is not a thing. <laughs> On 39 Village Lane. (laughs) I just expected her to walk in and see Hank Venture running the place. So, she tells Perry about her story
1: and tells him that she's gonna go to yay old wig shop. And she
0: meets this weird-looking dude. He has the most bizarre eyebrows and tiny little goatee. He looks like if you combined Vincent Price and Peter Cushing together to form the ultimate villain. And... He tells her that it's
1: just a rumor that the previous owner of the shop had dabbled in black magic. And he tells her that all of the wigs were supposedly cursed. And she's like, well, I am going to a photographer's ball tonight, and it has a theme of 18th century belle. So I will take that hairpiece that matches Marie Antoinette, because
0: it will match my costume. Cut to her bowing to Lord Perry White in a powdered wig. (laughs) <laughs> I assume smoking a cigar filled with the finest opium.
1: Uh, as Perry is wearing classic French high-heel men's shoes. Great Louis XIV's ghost. And a waiter is carrying a giant watermelon by one hand over his head, <laughs> because that's how you do. And as he knocks Lois Lane out of the way, a plate falls from the sky and slices the watermelon in half and mentions that if Lois had not been shoved out of the way,
0: it would have struck her like a guillotine. And I have to say, at that angle, no the hell it wouldn't have. It would have cut her in half down the center. <laughs> what the hell are they making those plates out of? Razor blades, James. So, Lois is
1: distraught because that's how Mary Antoinette died. So she returns to the wig shop. And decides to try on the Joan of Arc wig. And she goes to the Metropolis Museum where she sees a statue of Joan of Arc with the same hairdo. So she knows that it's an authentic wig. (laughs) And then randomly the draperies at the museum catch on fire. And nearly burn her alive as she pulls the sword out of the statue's (laughs) hands and smothers the flames with the sword.
0: And Lois Lane holding a medieval sword while surrounded by flame is everything I could ever want out of comic books.
1: (laughs) And then she gets even more distraught because that's twice that the evil spell has almost worked. So she returns to the wig shop, but not before we get a, a breakdown of what's actually going on in the wig shop. And that is that there is a group of criminals who are trying to knock her off because... They are behind a fake charities racket that she is
0: investigating. And their end game is if she has an accident while wearing one of those wigs, it will simply be blamed on the Mystic Curse. It must be so awful being a district attorney in a city where Mystic Curse is a legitimate alibi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. They introduce the Supergirl wig, which they think is what she wears to cover up her secret identity, and we get a nice little editor's note where the editor explains that the phonies think that Supergirl wears a blonde wig to cover her dark real hair when it's the other way around. Ha ha, what stooges.
0: Yes, we read comics also. I mean, if you're
1: reading Lois Lane, you haven't seen a lot of Supergirl, so... If that's the only title you're reading, I think this is only, like, the third time she's shown up in a
0: Lois Lane comic. I don't feel like there was a lot of readers out there that were just reading the spinoff titles. Like, God, could you imagine if you only knew about the Superman universe through Jimmy Olsen?
1: I can if you're in the 1970s and you came on to Jimmy Olsen with Jack Kirby.
0: God, could you imagine if you only knew about Jack Kirby through Jimmy Jimmy Olsen should not be anybody's gateway to a universe. Fair, fair. So, we
1: find out that the wig shopper proprietor is actually the dude that was Alexander Hamilton, and so Lois comes back once again in her banana-like outfit, and realizes that a blonde wig would match her yellow banana outfit very well. So, she takes the Supergirl wig, and there is a criminal that is known only as Hijack Harry, <laughs> who hijacks a truckload of silk. And not very well, because he doesn't seal it, so all of the silk is falling out the back of the truck. And Lois Lane stands in front of the truck, and Hijack Harry stops to shoot at her, and the bullets bounce off, and then he tries to run her over, and crushes the truck and that's when the criminals realize that their wig actually bestowed superpowers upon lois so they're like we have to get it back so that we can wear it and all cross-dress and be superheroes
0: and and could you imagine if that plan worked i would read every issue
1: so, they go and try to take the wig off of Supergirl's head, because it is actually Supergirl. And we get the weirdest panel of them just yanking on her hair from both sides. While she stands, triumphant. As she smugly smiles, arms akimbo, and Lois's poor dresses in shreds, revealing the Supergirl symbol. And she conks the two criminals' heads together, and... At that moment, Lois comes out of the basement where she got all of the information that she needed to get on tape recorder and then rips the mask off of the wig owner proprietor dude to reveal the actor who played Hamilton and voila. That was
0: weird.
1: And then we also get a final panel of Lois going to her beauty salon where her hairdresser tells her that wigs are the latest in fashion because he is a lazy asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) brings us to our third most bizarre story of the episode. Yes, folks, third, as... We get to Action Comics number 291, cover dated August 1962, written by Seagull, drawn by Mooney, and the title of this story is The Bride of Mr. Mixius Pitlick.
0: And this entrance into a brave new world of imps and monsters opens with Linda once again visiting the orphanage of her youth. And by youth, I mean last year.
1: The Danvers bring presents to the orphanage, and to get them there on time... Supergirl pulled a trick out of the Weasley's playbook and flew her parents' car there. And uh as she is out on patrol, she is spied by that dastardly imp from the fifth dimension, Mr. Mixia Spitlick. And he realizes that outwitting Superman is hard, but a mere Supergirl will be a cinch.
0: Haven't you learned your lesson by now, Mr. Mixia Spitlick?
1: So he poofs into existence as she is... Flying near a jetliner. The jet is flying a nuclear bomb to an atomic test area, because that's safe. And that's when Mr. Mixia Spitlick turns them into Bizarros. Because when in doubt, Bizarro. Hey, why us flying plane in sky? Let's fly
2: on underground where it belong!
0: So, Supergirl, seeing the complexity of this scenario and all of the new untested factors being brought into the situation, and realizing the national, if not global, repercussions of her actions, digs a big hole in the ground. Sure enough, the plane follows her into the
1: big hole in the ground and flies out the other side, and she decides that she has to get the Bizarro pilots to leave the plane, so she convinces them that their plane is safe. And that convinces the bizarros that they must parachute out. Because if the plane is safe, they must flee.
0: But wait, bizarros, if you're parachuting, shouldn't you be flying into a plane? James, no! Wait a second, if you're doing things backwards, then shouldn't you be dead? So... Shouldn't everything be upside down, bizarros? I don't think you've thought the whole backwards thing through. So, Supergirl lowers the nuclear test jet to the
1: ground with her super breath and then she reaches New York City where Mr. Mixia
0: Spitlick has turned everybody into bizarros and it's terrible sales are advertised big sale don't buy a dude is reading the newspaper in the road children are eating cereal boxes while letting the delicious golden flakes go to waste mailmen are biting dogs and in the UN in the UN (laughs) Everybody's going down with peace. We want war. Bowie on peace. Me got peachy idea. Let's everybody declare war on everybody else. War,
2: war, war. Us want war.
0: And it's situations like this that make me really glad that real governments are in such safe, forward-thinking hands.
1: Moving on. That's when uh, Mr. Mixia Spitlick introduces himself.
2: Howdy, ma'am! I'm Mr. Mixia's Bitlick from the Fifth Dimension. Are you enjoying my hilarious hocus
0: pocus? So you're behind this madness, you imp! Superman told me all about you!
2: He
1: eludes her, trying to catch him, and she starts to brainstorm ideas to return him to his dimension. And her first idea is to be a guest cheerleader for the Metropolis Marvels and throw up random letters into the sky for everybody to cheer out loud and Mr. Mixia Spitlick is enraptured by this idea (laughs) and the first word is and then and obviously all the letters that she is tossing up are the letters in Mr. Mixia Spitlick's name and finally she tosses them up in the order that
0: will get him to say his name backwards and Mr. Mix turns it into snakes,
2: oh, right, you thought you'd get rid of me by making me say my name backwards, but I'm too smart for you so as
1: they go to a policeman picnic, <laughs> Mr. Mix pettlick turns all the bees into giant bees because the police supergirl flies into a field, grabs all the flowers, squeezes all their nectar into an empty water tower. <laughs> so that the bees all fly there instead, and then she flies off to the Fortress of Solitude to grab a mind-control helmet so that she can try to convince mister mix Spitlick to say his name backwards, to which he replies, Madam, I'm Adam. Which the editors note maddeningly this sprite has answered with a sentence that reads the same backwards or forwards. Ha ha ha, what a scamp.
2: Ha ha ha, naturally not. My fifth-dimensional magic is greater than any mechanical gadget. What do you think of me now?
0: I'll tell you what I think. I think you're an irritating, aggravating, annoying pest. I hate you. You're the greatest creep there ever was. Which is saying something, because she knows Superman. You gotta take a screen cap of that panel and use it as your blanket response to everyone on Twitter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My, but you're beautiful when you're angry. A strange thrill is tingling up and down my itty bitty spine. It must be love. Marry me, beloved.
1: As he gets down on one knee and proposes without a ring. Ewww. And, uh, Supergirl angrily refuses, at which point, Mr. Spitlick plops her
0: Kryptonian parents into existence. <laughs> That's right, presenting Supergirl Dead No More, a 12 issue maxi series from DC Comics.
1: And there's a happy reunion, and then an origin recap because they
0: needed to fill like five more panels. And then an enraptured Kara and her Kryptonian parents have a lovely day of superheroing around the city.
1: And then she introduces them to her human parents, and the two sets of parents fight over her. And Supergirl can't choose, so the Danverses are bigger people and tell her that she needs to be with her real parents, even though it breaks their hearts. Meanwhile, at the Fortress of Solitude... Zorl is concocting some magic potion device thing, and Mr. Mixia Spitlick shows up and says...
2: Whoa! Here I am, darling. I had a swell time driving Atlantis crazy. Let's get on with the wedding!
1: And zor throws his daughter under the bus and tells her that she has to marry him. So we cut to the justice of the peace, with Supergirl wearing her costume and a veil.
0: And Mixia Spitlick wearing his most regal fifth-dimensional imp outfit.
1: And before the ceremony, zor says they must all drink the punch that he has concocted,
0: because it's an old Kryptonian custom. I just love zor of Krypton just sitting there next to a punch bowl in a rickety courthouse i got plenty of punch
2: what a husband i'll make my bride will never be bored i'm loads of fun pranks i got a zillion of them <laughs>
0: why don't you just marry superman and at that point
1: Zorel asks his would-be son-in-law to say his name backwards
2: I can't help myself, I've gotta say it. My name backwards is Kip-i-lum.
1: And he and Zorel and Allura pop out of existence because Zorel had concocted a Kryptonian truth serum into the punch and as they disappear, only Supergirl can remember what happened, because that's how Mr. Mixia Spitliggs magic works, because Supergirl and Superman have super minds.
0: Allegedly.
1: And so she returns to the Danverses and is very happy to be back with them, even though she has lost her real parents yet again.
0: And Supergirl makes it a point to say that Zorel and Allura sacrificed themselves so that she would not have to choose between them and the Danverses. Her parents killed themselves because they couldn't work out joint custody. (laughs) That seems a bit rash. So, as I said before, that was the third most bizarre story of the night. But
1: now, we get the most bizarre story of the night, and it comes from everybody's gateway
0: drug into Superman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Superman's pal, Jim (laughs) gilson
0: In a story so weird... My notes are just a series of profanities.
1: (laughs) So, this is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 63, from September of 1962, written by Seagull, art by Kurt Swan, and inked by George Klein, and it is the League of Fantastic (laughs)
0: Supermen. And... I think we have to discuss the opening splash page again, James. Four Supermans are flying through the air as onlookers gawk at them.
1: And specifically, it's the four, or er, it's four of the classic Red Kryptonite or Magic tail Superman. Like we have Old Man Superman with the long
0: ass white beard, Alien Superman with his weird noodle mouth, and Lion Head Superman, and Superman with a big giant bald head. Because they got lazy there.
1: So, we open with Jimmy Olsen
0: roaming the Fortress of Solitude, as you do. Just wandering around in search for a story, when suddenly, Jimmy checks the Kandorian trouble monitor and sees...
1: Four of the worst Kandorian super criminals fleeing custody, and they have released a dreaded nerve gas that will knock out the entire city, and they have dressed in Superman costumes... And they will then wreak havoc on the universe outside of Kandor. And as they escape, Jimmy grabs a ray gun and threatens to shoot them, to which they reply that they are invulnerable because they're Kryptonians. And as he pulls the trigger, it unleashes a red ray, which he deduces must be red kryptonite because it turns the first one into a lion-headed Superman and then turns the next two into a an old man, and a man from the future with a giant bald head, and the last one into an alien with pointy ears, green skin, and a bald, bulbous head, and weird tentacle teeth things.
0: And I just want to point out, I love how it was just a given back then that in the future, everyone will have giant eggheads. That is how evolution works. I mean, to be fair, we don't know if that's... Not going to happen. We're not there yet. I mean, at the rate I'm going bald, uh, it's likely. So,
1: then, we cut to the 21st century, because Jerry Siegel can't remember when the Legion of Superheroes exists. This is a constant running gag on the Legion of Substitute podcasters, and I'm happy that we get to see it here. (laughs) And from the far-off 21st century... We see the Legion of Supervillains... Cosmic King, and Lightning Lord, and Sun Emperor, and Chameleon
0: King. Who all have infinitely better names than their Legion counterparts. Oh, I'm sorry, Chameleon Chief. That one, not so much.
1: I don't know, Chameleon Chief is still better than Chameleon Boy. Hmm. So, they trap the four Kandorian criminals in a green kryptonite cage, and then take their place. (laughs) Because,
0: what the hell? It was at this point I wrote my only (laughs) non-profanity-laden note, which is, I have never been more baffled by literally every page of a comic book story in my (laughs) life. Because, yeah, they just have rubber masks lying around. Of the weird red kryptonite at this point,
1: just, why any of us? The only one that doesn't have a mask is the chameleon chief because he doesn't need one so he turns himself into
0: old man superman on his own so (laughs) the future legion of supervillains disguised as the evil kandorian superman with red kryptonite monster faces shrink themselves and go back in (laughs) time And seeing them on the monitor, Jimmy dispatches a Superman robot to go and stop them. Specifically number X5.
1: And Cosmic King transmuted the metal to brittle metal and destroys the robot.
0: He doesn't destroy him. He punches him in the face and his head is violently wrenched off. It's gruesome.
1: And as Jimmy witnesses the robot's defeat, he then tunes into a monitor on Supergirl, who's visiting Laurie Lamaris.
0: Talking about what an asshole Superman
1: is. He writes a message into a bottle and launches it at her, and luckily it reaches her very quickly. So Supergirl goes to round up the Kandorian criminals that are not actually Kandorians, but are still criminals.
0: From the future. The far-off future of the 21st century. Who are also individually doppelgangers of the Legion of Superheroes. Who are the Legion of Superheroes? Well, you see far off into the future.
1: (laughs) The criminals are wrecking havoc on the Earth. They destroy a dam with lightning fingers out of the lion head Superman's paws. So Supergirl rips off part of a mountaintop to save the dam. And that distracts her long enough for the Kandorians to fly back to the Fortress of Solitude, where we find out that their scheme is to get sent to the Phantom Zone, because the only way to get sent to the Phantom Zone is to be a Kryptonian criminal, or unluckily Monel and have lead poisoning.
0: Once inside the Phantom Zone, they will use the special radiation from their anti-gravity belts to rip a hole in the space-time continuum causing all of the Phantom Zone criminals to escape. I wonder where they got enough Kryptonian girl tears for that, James. They just hung around Supergirl's house for a couple of days. (laughs) Almost all the Phantom Zone criminals have escaped. They will be so grateful to the fake monster-headed Kandorian Superman (laughs) that they will join the Legion of Supervillains. They will exile Superman and Supergirl and rule the Earth. Or something.
2: I, I don't think they
1: understand how those Phantom Zone criminals work, because Jacks and General Zod are just as likely to just fl- flat-out kill them as they are to be grateful. So, as the four of them enter the fortress, the four of them surrender so that they get sent back to the bottle city of Kandor. So Jimmy lowers them into the bottle on a sewing thread, and, uh... It turns out that when they get down there, there is nobody there. Because Superman just happens to have an extra bottle city of Candor that is unoccupied.
0: Ha uh-huh. ha, I've clamped a metal cover on top of the bottle. And to make sure they won't get out, I'm locking the cover. So they think they were smart, huh? Well, Olsen's smarter.
1: God, oh, that impudent fool outwitted us. Choke, how did we get wise to us and lure us into this trap? And we get the scariest image of Jimmy Olsen the world has
0: ever goddamn seen. He looks like just once they drew my voice for Jimmy Olsen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have my own super criminals in a jar now. I'm gonna shake it.
0: I'll wash myself with a rag on a stick.
1: (laughs) Good work, Jimmy. But how did you know they were disguised members of the Legion of
0: Supervillains? I'll explain, Supergirl. Listen, as those masquerading phonies flew towards the fortress, I got me a telepathic message.
1: Laurie, calling from Atlantis, I read the minds of your tiny foes. They're disguised supervillains from the future who switched places with the Fantastic Four from Kandor.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> Once I realized the situation, I had this Superman robot swiftly build an invitation Kandor. It was a pleasure to obey you. Oh, that makes me miss my domination robot. So
1: they replace the real bottle city of Kandor, and Supergirl gives Jimmy a kiss on the cheek. She takes them back to the future and replaces the Kandorian criminals back in the bottle city of Kandor, the real one.
0: And because she still has red kryptonite poisoning, that kiss gives Jimmy superpowers for twenty-four hours. He grows three stories tall and must be exiled from Earth by Superman.
1: Which brings us to da da da, da, da Super Female! Dear Editor, whatever happened to Streaky, Supergirl's pet? It seems as though he was put in a corner and forgotten. If he doesn't return soon, I'll report you to the ASPCA. Unsigned. We all know that Alex went back in history to write this letter because he knew that Mort Weisinger is a jerk, and if he wrote a letter requesting Streaky, he would probably never get Streaky again.
0: Streaky appeared recently in Adventure Comics number 293. He's due for an exciting appearance shortly as a member of the Legion of Super Pets. We agree with you that his omission from these pages is nothing short of a catastrophe. <laughs> but we have news for you. Streaky makes a brief appearance in Superman Comics number 154. And in this story, he actually talks. Catastrophe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, that is our show for tonight.
0: Catastrophe. Get it? Because he's a cat! What the hell are you laughing at, Infantino? Get back to the
1: Anyway, that's our episode for this month. I've been Cory, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at CoryMarie21. I'm fallen behind on my recap blogs for Supergirl TV Talk, but I'm going to be starting those up again rather shortly. And in the very near future, uh, you will be able to find a monthly column from me at Women Write About Comics, where, among other things, I will obviously be talking about Supergirl stories. Uh, because I can't get enough of it in our brief monthly sessions, and there's 50 years to cover, so...
0: Oh, Miss Cory Marie is moving up in the world. Soon she won't even need this Podunk podcast anymore.
1: I will always need this Podunk podcast, James. No, oh, you're just saying that because you need me. I am just saying that because I need you. And uh you can find us on SupergirlPowerHour.com. And at S girl Power Hour on Twitter and on
0: Facebook at Supergirl Power Hour. And you can catch me as always on Twitter at Mondo Funky and at Graphic Novelism. And you can find me on many fine Pulp Podcast Network shows, such as the Monthly Graphic Novelism, where we are currently doing a seven-part retrospective on the history of superheroes in animation. Ooh, fancy! All seven parts about Wildcats, the animated series. As well they should be. And you can catch that and many other fine Pulp Podcast Network shows at pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com.
1: That's all for this month, but join us again next month as we talk about Comet the Super Horse. Super Horse,
0: yes. This has been a Pulp Podcast production.
1: There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a
0: show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself... We now have the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- I don't think so. It- Let's go with, like, image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn? He has Angela, who's, like, Lady Hercules. Yeah, she is kind of Hercules like. Can we still legally say
1: Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble?
0: Well, now that she's as guardian, I think it's, it's fair play, so. Hey,
1: she's not technically as guardian.
0: Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin.
1: And She has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign?
0: Look, we can
2: get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode.
1: That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>